This week on the podcast, we're learning about the world of live auctions in a nonprofit world and what we can learn from it. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, my name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale, and you're listening to Using the Whole Whale, Whole Whale's podcast. Today we have Lane, the auctionista. They are a philanthropist, um, and they're here to talk about event fundraising strategy from months before, the hectic day of, and even months after. Lane, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great, Carisha. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited. I'm, I'm always excited to talk uh, fundraising and events and, and how we can make our world a better place with all those donations we raise. Yeah, awesome. Um, I'm really excited to have you here. Just your energy already is amazing. <laughs> so let's talk about the difference between event fundraising and uh, any other fundraising efforts like digital fundraising. We do a lot of that here at Whole Whale. So what do you think are the key differences there? Well, firstly, um, when you're dealing with a live audience, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a completely different animal, I think, right? You know, when we think about our events, we also consider our audience, who they are, what they do. But really, um, in terms of the fundraising aspect, um, you know, I kind of look at it that you're gonna have first generation connection folks there at the event, first, second, third, maybe fourth, there may be people there that are strictly there by social obligation because I went to your kid's soccer game, now you're coming to this gala thing with me, right? So it, it is um, definitely uh, a skill uh, and it's definitely, you know, requires certain strategies to evoke uh, empathy from the room, uh, really inspire people to make that gift. So for me, you know, I think that there is part art, science, and psychology when it comes to fundraising with a live audience and making everybody feel like they're a part of it, right? Yeah. So, you know, that, that can boil down to your show flow. Um, and I always say guests remember what they feel, mm. not what they see. You know, so I'm a big, big believer in um, really making that human connection, making sure that people uh, feel warm and fuzzy inside and really, you know, creating that warm, inclusive atmosphere in the room because that, that's, that's when the magic happens, right? So really, you know, you're, you're looking from front to back, start to finish, who are all the people on the stage? How are they making the audience feel? What words are coming out of their mouths? Because really the ultimate goal is to inspire people mm -hmm. uh, to give that evening, right? Yeah, and I think we should even backtrack a little bit about what exactly a philanthropator is <laughs> and why you call yourself an auctionista. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, Carisha, because when I got into this uh, line of work 10 years ago, um, you know, I, I didn't even know what an auctioneer was. And, and, and literally, I guess I am an auctioneer. I am selling a product in the live auction. But, you know, really, I kind of look at it from a different sensibility than that. 
Um, my work is all built around um, engaging people and, and, and building on that philanthropic aspect of why they're there. And I do it in a very entertaining way. I'm not going to lie. Um, most people will, people say that I'm kind of like a combination of Elvis and Ellen when it comes to the fun <laughs> live auction part. I'm super interactive. I'm very funny. Um, I know how to pull those extra dollars out of mm -hmm. folks, but make them feel amazing about it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, um, you know, I was a professional fundraiser, frontline fundraiser. So I really come from a different point of view with the work that mm -hmm. I do. I'm also thinking about my client in terms of, um, you know, stewarding those folks that are in that room and mm -hmm. how can we turn those uh, guests into critical donors, right? Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I'm an auctioneer, but you know, I don't really do anything the, the plain way. I do it the lane way. Let's just say it's, <laughs> it's just a little bit different. It's just a little bit different, right? So yeah. when you put uh, philanthro, let's say when you put philanthropy and entertainment together, you get full on engagement with your guests. That that's mm -hmm. that's how I look at it. <laughs> I love that, and I love your metaphor of the lane way. Um, yeah. Let's get a little more into that. What kind of strategies? does the laneway implement into going into event fundraising? Yeah. So, you know, I, I love a plan. Mm -hmm. um, I need a plan. And I think we all need a plan, no matter what we're doing, whether we're building our own retirement plan or running a business or running a gala. Uh, I don't do anything without a plan. So I am all about, uh, you know, creating a strategic approach for my clients to achieve success. Um, I don't do anything on the spot. Yes, I do. I can be improvisational, mm -hmm. but when it comes to the seriousness of fundraising and we have a defined set goal, uh, I want to make sure that we are building the path mm -hmm. um, and the strategies and the tactics to achieve that. I mean, when you think about a gala signature fundraiser, that is typically the charity's most important night of the calendar year. Right. And we have to make every moment count and we have to make every seat count, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, putting strategies in place for all the various aspects of fundraising I do, such as the fund and need, the mission moment, um, lead to better results, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, there was a particular uh, charity that I started working with, uh, and uh, their fund and need was raising about $30,000, um, when I came on board, we put the plan in place. Yes, it is a 17-step critical path. Okay, I'm a little crazy, but <laughs> it works. It's proven, um, and we crushed over 100000 that yeah. year. So I know it works, right? And uh, I think it's really important uh, that my clients and charities understand how you get to those numbers. You just mm -hmm. can't say, hey, Lane, come raise us $500,000. Just make it happen. Well, it, not, nothing works like that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the live auction. You know, I'm, I'm uh, starting from the place of, you know, let's do a demographic study. Who's in the room? Mm. What's the wallet capacity in the room? You've got to have the right items for the right people at the right price at the right time. So that's really critical. I kind of say to my clients, you know, you're opening up a retail store with your silent auction and live auction. <laughs> 
So do you know your target audience? Right. You want to have the best product available that's going to bring the most amount of money in, right? Are you, a, are you, you know, is your product um, going to, uh, you know, inspire people to, to lay down those greater bids? Now, those are really purchases and people want to bid against each other, but you're not going to make the money if you have the wrong stuff, right? right. So. So there's all of that piece too. So I'm, I really come at it with a very critical eye. You know, I've got a decade of experience. I know what's hot, I know what's not. And I just want the best outcome for the client. And obviously as an entertainer and a performer and a fundraiser, I also want to make sure that I'm set up for success for raising the most amount of money, right? Definitely. Definitely. Very important. And I love that you're such a planner. <laughs> quite honestly <laughs> to a fault girl to a fault sometimes you know um our clients always say wow your team is really really responsive and on top of things and that's because we we have a plan to everything yeah. we do right yeah definitely so yeah. let's talk more about this 17 step plan <laughs> we don't have to go one by one but if you could break it up into uh, buckets of that year 17 plan step plan goes into the first order of discussion is what are we raising money for what is the ask what is the call to action what is the revenue goal is it reasonable is it achievable mm -hmm. um you know and once we kind of encapsulate that what is the ask okay we're gonna we're, we want to raise 50 grand to buy a school bus great all right, is that reasonable? Should we be asking for two school buses, right? Mm -hmm. And then we kind of dissect, okay, who's going to, uh, you know, create the pitch and sell the story, right? Because fundraising is founded in storytelling, mm -hmm. right? It's about the donors in the room feeling that they are accomplishing something. They're mm -hmm. fixing a problem. They are gonna solve this charity's issue just like that within 10 minutes. So I always like to fundraise for the mission moment with something that's very tangible. Mm -hmm. um, so that is one critical piece. And then from there, we um, start looking at, okay, who's going to speak to this? Uh, so I, I love having that credibility of somebody from the organization. Maybe it's the programming coordinator who's in the trenches every single day. So this is what we do. This is why we do the work that we do. And this is the problem. This is the challenge we have. We don't have enough seats on the school bus and we need two more school buses. So call to action, help us raise a hundred grand. And here to share their impact story is Allison, right? Mm -hmm. And then Allison shares about what the charity has done. This was my situation before. Then I got connected to the charity and they changed my life. So we're building storytelling, but we're also working on mirroring that audience. We're also building empathy in the room, right? Because when there's empathy within us, there are certain chemicals that are released, oxytocin, serotonin, X, 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 and X. <laughs> and that's what brings the warm fuzzy. Mm. That's what brings the loyalty. So we're really working towards that. So I kind of say to my clients, so a fund and need or mission moment is kind of like a, a direct mail piece mm. prevent, presented as a live performance. Mm -hmm. Right? 
It doesn't go on for an hour and a half. We've only got so much time. People are at a gala dinner. They're socializing. They're there for the fun. Uh, this is not an educational workshop. Uh, we have to be very critical in our content scripting. We want to get our points across. We want to build that empathy. We want to make that call for a call to action. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's all about everybody being included. It's also about priming the audience, right? People, people need to know before the event that they're going to be asked for a donation. Right. So that's really critical. So we talk about the marketing and communications plan pre mm -hmm. and post event and on event day as well. And that means infusing that language right from the top of the show with your MC. This is why we're here tonight. And shortly, Lane the Auctionista is going to be taking the stage and helping us raise that $100,000 for the two buses. So we're priming that audience. We're preparing them. They know it's going to happen. And uh, we're going to accomplish it and fix this problem. So it's, uh, that's just a few of the steps. But <laughs> I do like a two, two three-hour workshop on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you only have me for a short period of time. So those are the highlights. Those are the highlights. And I like the idea of priming your audience, even before they get to sit at that table or in their chairs with the communication before and after. What kind of mediums do you go through? So, it, you know, I think that uh, e-blasts are great ways of communicating. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, you know, any event, pre-event communication, whether it's invitations, mm -hmm. e-blasts, and I tell my clients or suggest very strongly to my clients, you know, a week out, you know, you typically get that e-blast. That's like, okay, we'll see you in a week. This is where you park. This is what's happening. It's cash. Mm. Da, 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 da. I don't want the mission moment uh, to be lost in that. No, I want to ensure that that mission moment is, is really positioned as the showcase of the night, the mm. pinnacle moment. And so I always suggest a couple of days before the event, that's when you send a unique e-blast about the mission moment mm. only because that thing is going to raise way more money than any live auction will. And as a fundraiser, we are looking for that added data, those new donors to continue the conversation post event. So I don't look at it as a, as a transactional fundraising segment it is uh, developing and deepening your donor pipeline, mm -hmm. right? right? So two days before, and of course the positioning of your mission moment in your event, never at the end, baby, never at the end. Mm -hmm. It is the pinnacle, it's the showcase, it's the why we're here, it's the right. mission, it's the cause, and you've got to set it up like that because then the perception and the understanding of the guest is, is this is why we're here. Right. And we need to get on board with this. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Amazing. So clearly 
you have a lot of tips. 17 steps. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got tips on tips. <laughs> um, if you could take maybe those top three tips for a smaller nonprofit that's maybe putting on their first event or their first gala um, and doesn't have the privilege and honor of having Lane there, what would you tell these nonprofits? Yeah, well, you know what? It's interesting because I've, I've worked with so many grassroots organizations mm -hmm. uh, over the years, and I worked with national charities, small, medium, larges, all of it. And I can tell you that my three top tips for a grassroots organization is you have to invest in a professional charity auctioneer. It mm -hmm. will make all the difference. We're trained um, on how to inspire folks. Mm -hmm. We understand the language. We understand, um, you know, how to sell those items and make people feel really good about digging in deeper and giving that extra two or three bids. That's what it is all about. Mm -hmm. You know, early on in my career, I didn't understand the difference um, about the different auctioneering strains. I mean, that's actually how I ended up getting into this business. Right. And I and I think that f there's a lot of folks out there that don't know that there are massive differences. There are car auctioneers, mm. livestock auctioneers, uh, real estate. Uh, you know, I will I will be honest with you. I should never walk into a livestock ring because I know <laughs> nothing about it. I have no idea. I would I, I would I'm, I'm sure I would do. I don't know what to do. I, that's yeah. all thing. That's not. So please don't get the board chair. Please don't get this. Have the CEO. Don't have the radio personality. Mm -hmm. Find your local or your nearest benefit auction specialist. That investment is going to bring you an incredible amount of ROI, not just in revenue, but your guest experience. The second thing I would strongly suggest is always keep your major fundraising at the front of your show. The mm -hmm. deeper you get into the night, people always think, oh, give them a few drinks. We're going to raise more money. No, no, no. Wrong, girl. Wrong. <laughs> That's when people become less attentive, right? They're getting tired. It's like, you, mm -hmm. you know, I always liken it to this. I'm sure many of your listeners have children. I have children too. But when my kids came home um, after school, you know, they're in grade three, grade four, whatever it is. They come home after school. They come flying through the door. Mm -hmm. The first thing a parent says is, are you hungry? That's the number one thing. Yes, mommy, I'm hungry. The second thing the parent asks is, do you have homework? Mm. And they say, uh-huh. Here's <laughs> what the parent never says. The parent never says, you know what, Johnny? Don't worry about the homework. Get out on your bike. Ride around till the street comes, street lights come on, get sweaty, get dirty, and then at 9.30, quarter to 10 when you come home, that's mm -hmm. when we're going to do your homework. That is exactly what happens when you leave major fundraising at the end of your program. Mm -hmm. People have been cocktailing and dining and whining since 5.30 doors open, yeah. and you start fundraising at 10, you're done, that's and it. you're finished. You're yeah. done, right? <laughs> The last tip that I have is get a fantastic MC, somebody that cares about your cause, mm -hmm. somebody that has experience warming up a crowd, mm -hmm. somebody that 
is committed to being an MC, not just grabbing a piece of paper when they walk in and mispronouncing folks' names. That is not cool. That is not okay. Um, you know, I really feel strongly that the MC is, they're the trail guide for the night. Yeah. And they are the first impression mm-hmm. that your guests have when formal program opens. So you need to have somebody that has a, uh, 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 not a connection of the cause, but uh, is professional, is prepared, um, knows how to deal with things in the moment, mm-hmm. and also has a degree of crowd control skill. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are my three top tips. Yeah. I really love that second one. <laughs> Because you would think, you know, people are a little buzzed, you know, maybe they add an extra zero in the checkbook. They didn't realize. Yeah, that's when buyer's remorse happens. And, oh, I thought you said a thousand. No, it's ten thousand. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't like that. I want yeah. folks to be keen, attentive, yeah. ready to go, and ready to empty their pockets, right? I don't want them looking at their phones saying, I, I got to call that Uber now because I'm, I'm tired and mm. Johnny will go to bed with the babysitter. Yeah. And I like the idea that you want your donors to be keen and focused because I'm thinking maybe that's where donations go from maybe smaller donations to larger gifts. How do you, as an auctionista, kind of sway donors from maybe giving $20 or $50, $100, whatever the amount may be on the smaller side to a larger, more impactful gift? So that's a that's a strategy that's I have multiple answers for. <laughs> <laughs> of course I do, um, because there are different scenarios to this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tackle the mission moment first. Mm-hmm. I want to tackle the mission moment first. I am all about creating an, exclu- an inclusive environment. Mm-hmm. Your mission moment is the one thing, the one segment where everybody can get on board. And we have to remember that a meaningful gift for one person could be a thousand and mm-hmm. a meaningful gift for someone else could be 100, mm-hmm. right? So with your silent auction, your live auction, you're only gonna have seven winners in the live, 100 winners in the, in the, in the silent, but this is the moment where everybody can get on board. And my approach is that if we achieve 100% participation, imagine what the outcome will be. And I really go about the, the facilitation around every dollar makes a difference. I'm also thinking from the fundraising aspect, the more data I capture, Mm-hmm. The more folks that come on board with the 50s and the hundreds, mm-hmm. um, that just leads to further conversations and post-event stewardship. So for me, um, you know, that is the one time where I look to really create that warm, mm-hmm. inclusive, give what you can environment. Now, with the live auction, that's a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I, um, I don't know how I do it. Honestly, I, I can, um, I, I think it's just a kind of a natural skill. Um, I kind of pin, pinpoint my, my, my two bidders and then I get down into the crowd and <laughs> I might infuse some of the 
charity messaging. Mm -hmm. I also know that there is a double aspect to selling live auction packages, right? Mm -hmm. You're selling the steak and the sizzle, right? Mm -hmm. So the emotional connection. So once people are emotionally charged about that trip and they want it, um, I am going to make sure that I pull out every ounce, every penny <laughs> that I possibly can. And I have been known um, to even have the final bidder pop up their bid, mm -hmm. one more bid level. Um, because for me, it's not about pressure ever on the floor. It's about gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's always about gratitude. And when people feel appreciated, when, you know, they they give that extra and we have huge applause that's a beautiful moment mm -hmm. that's a beautiful moment right so uh it, it it's it's kind of twofold it's kind of twofold but uh you know i uh i never want to make anyone feel that any size gift is is not good enough or not appreciated because they all are right this is about a village getting on board and doing something magical Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also, I also want to talk about the importance of having a professional auctioneer or a professional MC that's specific very much to philanthropy or a nonprofit. Um, what kind of metrics have you seen from having a professional like yourself on the team as opposed to a livestock auctioneer, for example? Um, what are like first time donor rates? What are the retention rates from these first time donors? Do you have any insight on that? Uh, I do. Uh, I, I may not have specific numbers, but I can tell you that there are tangible and intangible uh, goodies that come out of it. Obviously with a professional uh, charity benefit auctioneer, um, it's our job, right? It is our job. We know how to read a room. We understand that there are VIPs champions in the room. Uh, we know how to uh, treat them, how to speak to them. We also know how to pull money out of a room. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is the tangible piece uh, around raising the revenue. The intangible is the guest experience that comes out of that. You have to remember that you know, all auctioneers are in their specific lines of business because they have skill and expertise. And I don't want to take anything away from any other auctioneering strain because as I said earlier, there is no way that you would ever find me selling livestock because I don't know what to do. Um, there is, however, uh, a certain level of engagement that a charity auctioneer will bring and entertainment. Um, whereas you have to think a livestock auctioneer is moving product through and that is their job. That is their mindset. That is their prime focus. A charity auctioneer's prime focus is to engage an audience, inspire folks to give to a charity. So that could come through humor. That could come through interactions. So the guest experience is completely different. I, I will tell you, and I'm really proud to say that, um, I do a lot of repeat events. I have clients that I've been doing their annual event for 10 years. And many times I will have 
many, many guests come up and say, Lane, we love this charity, but we come to see your show. And we know you're going to bring the energy, the excitement. You're going to inspire us. There's going to be something different, whether it's a new jacket or a new line or whatever it is. I am part of the entertainment. I'm part of the show, right? Yeah. It doesn't, it's, it's now, it's not uncomfortable when the auctioneer comes on stage where people are being, or they might feel that they are being pressured or um, are sought out or put under a microscope. Um, and that language is so incredibly important. So mm -hmm. in the fundraising world, um, you know, we, we're there to steward those donors for you as right. well. Right. Right. And looking even ahead to the future of event fundraising, do you know of any technology or see any technology being developed that could enhance the way that we experience event fundraising? Yeah, baby, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's here already. It is here. It's here. Uh, fundraising technology is alive and well, and um, I, I love using it. I think that as a, uh, a philanthropainer, it is my duty. It is my responsibility uh, mm -hmm. to understand how these technologies work and how to harness that technology along with the energy of the audience to create a moment. Mm -hmm. So there are multiple mobile bidding platforms that are uh, currently and widely being used in gala auctions. And here's what I'm going to say. I, I do love it. I really do. When we think about any person that walks into a gala, yeah. everybody's got a smartphone. Definitely. <laughs> everybody. Everybody. Um, when we think about the, the, the younger demographic, mm. looking at you, uh, you know, you're definitely younger than I am. <laughs> you, you do everything on, you, you buy concert tickets on your phone. Yep. You donate on your phone. Yeah. You do it all. So it, it's 2020 kids. Like get with the program. Paper is out. It is out. Like nobody should be doing paper donation forms anyways. And there's so much mm -hmm. uh, concern around privacy issues around that as well. Mm -hmm. What I love about fundraising technology is it's quick. It's real-time results up on the totalizer. It's streamlined. And mm -hmm. it takes away the human resource aspect post-event, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's the, the, the donation is completed in a link. The, the donor requests check off mark for tax receipt and boom, it's done. The other thing that I love about it is even though there may be defined levels to choose from, there's always the other level. Mm. So that opens up for larger donations than what is noted yeah. or smaller donations. And also, it, 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 I think it really sends that message to everyone in the room that you're not a hero just at five grand. You're a hero at 20 bucks too, mm. right? So I love fundraising technology and I've, I work quite closely uh, with those providers mm. to create uh, seamless experiences because with technology, there can be some challenges, mm -hmm. Wi-Fi being one of them, <laughs> uh, the strength of the Wi-Fi, but there's also other logistical challenges. So I, I work with these teams pre-event mm -hmm. to ensure 
that the plan is in place, <laughs> that we have closed the gap on any lag time that might come on the screen, mm -hmm. because I don't want to be up there for 20 minutes asking. Right. That is not cool, and that is not fun for anyone, including me, right? Mm -hmm. So I love fundraising technology uh, for so, so many reasons. Okay, cool. We're going to segue yeah. into our rapid fire round. Okay, go. Um, this is honestly my favorite part of the podcast where we ask all our guests uh, just a standard list of 10, 11 questions. Um, I think it's really fun to hear what everybody says and the different answers that we get. Uh, so are you ready? Let's do it. 30 seconds more or less for each answer. Okay. What's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Zoom. Mm, why do you like Zoom? Because it's better than Skype. <laughs> <laughs> We can share documents on it. And did you know on, on Zoom, you can have a virtual background. You could be oh. in your bedroom taking your call in your bed and you can have San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge in the background. So nobody will ever know where you're taking the call from. Boom, right there. <laughs> love it. Awesome. I love Zoom too, so I totally get it. Um, what's one piece of advice your parents gave that you did or did not follow? You don't have to marry that guy. <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> Great advice. It, it was for me, yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, are there any tech issues you're battling with right now? None. No. I am very, very fortunate that I have um, a wonderful young team around me because I am a boomer. Um, and <laughs> I never have tech issues because I've got this brilliant team around me that is so incredibly tech savvy. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, in, in, amongst my peers, I know how to do all the things, all the things, all the post posting and hashtagging and doing all those things. I am very, very fortunate. Um, so I am not battling with any tech issues whatsoever <laughs> and has nothing to do with my skills. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What's coming in the next year that has you most excited? I am working on a book, a fundraising book, uh, expanding into the U.S. market. I, I recently was granted my 01 U.S. visa, hence, uh, hence the work that I'm doing in New York City coming up in May. So I'm definitely looking towards expanding uh, my expertise into the U.S. market. And we have a grandbaby coming at the end of July. So we're super excited, my yeah. wife. Yeah. That's We're amazing. going to be grandmas. Grand, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a grand day. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now? Definitely. I made, um, well, I didn't think it was an error back then. But early on in my career, I, I gave away my services at a low cost in the thoughts that it would bring more, more business more exposure. At that time, I was a one person show and it was like, okay, you know, I just want to get out there as much as, as possible. The problem was, is that it started making me feel really devalued for my time, my expertise, the dedication, commitment, and the outcomes that I was bringing. So I have since evaluated my pricing and I am definitely a premium brand. I feel better about it. My business has grown about it uh, with that change. 
And uh, I don't compromise on that anymore. This is like women entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we have to do. We have to claim our value. Right. We have to claim and, and, and talk about our ambition and not feel awkward about it. Right. We are amazing at what we do and we should be paid accordingly. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of young people make because of whatever experience they might have or because of exposure, they think that's better. Um, so thanks for being honest about that. Thank you. Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? So that's a weird, weird question. <laughs> uh, can they, what, I don't think successfully go out of business actually is like, that just feels like opposite. Like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I have heard and I have actually seen a, a not-for-profit close their doors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs, but my assumption would be that there would be a few reasons, right? Lack of support, maybe bad financial management. And I'm sure for these charities, it's an incredibly difficult and emotional decision because what then happens to the to the folks that they are mm-hmm. supporting with their programs, that all comes to an end. So mm-hmm. uh, I do believe that it happens. I don't know if I've answered that the right way, but that was my first thought. Yeah, success is however you define it. <laughs> right, exactly, yep. Um, let's just say you had a hot tub time machine going back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? Oh, Carisha, you know, I, I, I am wise and I'm older now. So I got to tell you this, this is, this is, this could be a massive list. Um, if I reflect on the, the beginning, beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, mm. you know, one thing I know because I, I am successful is build slowly, steady and financially stable. Mm. You know, I, when I started my auctionista business 10 years ago, I was a frontline fundraiser and I, I kind of went into this thinking, Hey, you know what, I'm going to do like six or seven gigs, going to get a little bit of extra money. Mm. Um, and, and things really began to grow very exponentially in my business because I have a business background. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always very cognizant about cash flow projections and mm-hmm. having a reserve fund. You know, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. So I basically worked my frontline director of development job and the auctionista wow. simultaneously um, until the point where my auctionista business was extremely stable, mm-hmm. financially solid. And then I made the move uh, to move on. So that is critical. Mm -hmm. The other piece of advice is bring the right people in to join your team. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what team you're talking about, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in charity, whether you're, uh, this is critical. You know, you can teach people hard skills. You can teach me how to use an Excel spreadsheet. You can't teach me how to be kind, Mm. how to be dedicated. So for me, you know, I chose people to come on to the auctionista team that really carry the same, what I call my auctionista family values. Mm. I I, want to, I want to love you like I love my family member. 
right? <laughs> We're going to spend a lot of time together. You know, I always kind of do, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this is crazy lane. Like I do the sniff test, right? You know how dogs okay. go up to each other and they sniff each other. And it's like, I like your smell. You're solid. You're solid. I'm like that with people, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want people to feel that we, we're, we're a team. That means we have to have the same ethics, values, um, bringing that wow service and dedication uh, to, to everything that we do. Are we perfect? No, but I want to love who I'm with, not mm -hmm. just in my married life. I want to love who I work with. I want to have fun. I want to be in the trenches with you. Mm -hmm. So choose your chosen team family members carefully. Think that through. It's not just about the hard skills. It's the soft stuff that really makes a difference. Yeah, that's great advice. Nothing beats a solid team. <laughs> right. What's something you think you or your organization should stop doing? <laughs> okay. If, if, if Lauren and Alana are going to listen to this, they're going to laugh because it's like, we have to stop eating eggs Benny at every team meeting. <laughs> we, we, we have a team meeting once a, once a month out, mm -hmm. out of the office. And I, and I, and I say to them like, we will, let's go anywhere you want. Let's, let's do, just do the big old food tour. Yeah. Every kind of ethnic, foods you want we can yeah. do anything you want and they always want to go back to our favorite diner and <laughs> each of us orders the exact same thing it's eggs benny every month <laughs> and maybe there's something really um comforting about that mm -hmm. um but you know what kids like let can we bust out of that maybe next month so try <laughs> something new that's what i say solid advice um Let's also just say you had a Harry Potter wand for your industry. What would it do? Okay. I have an amazing answer for this. Mm -hmm. I would like every guest who goes to an event to come with the intention to financially support that charity, mm -hmm. especially those folks who get a free ticket. It mm -hmm. is not okay to get a free meal, to get a free ticket and not give back. Right. I struggle with that so very much. And being as inclusive as I am, if that means uh, a $10 donation or raffle, or I think most people that go to a gala event have the ability to do something. Mm. Please just don't stare at a blank stare and look down because it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going out on a, I gotta, I gotta get uh, the things for the weekend stuff. And you know what? I'm here for free. There was no obligation. Yes, there is an obligation. Right. There is an obligation. That that's how I feel. Mm. What's your favorite question to ask an organization or a board member? Favorite question is what is your why? Mm. That tells you a lot about the connection that they have, uh, the history with the organization. Uh, it, it tells a lot about that person. And it gives me a lot of insight to uh, the work that they do for the organization, why they do it, how they, it, there's so much story that can fall out of that, what, four little words. Mm, definitely. How'd you get started in the social impact space? 
Uh, you got another half an hour, two hours. Um, uh, that's, so that's a twofold, twofold. Uh, I was a financial advisor and we did have uh, a, a tragedy in our family that led me to seek the support of a charity. Mm-hmm. At that time, I didn't even know that you could access free help. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that piece. Right. Uh, and then I got involved with that charity, and I became the treasurer, and I went on the board. And then this whole fundraising thing happened for me. How I became the auctionista was I went to my very first, and, and, and please don't crack a smile because it's so true. I went to my very first fundraising gala only 12 years ago, 12 and a half years ago. Wow. I'm 57, so I was maybe 44 at the time. Yeah. And when my wife and I walked in, I, 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 I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of immigrants, European background. We, my parents did not go to galas. I mean, they just, mm-hmm. they just don't do that. Right. And I didn't know what a live auction was. I didn't know what a silent auction was. And then I saw that auctioneer. And again, I did not know that there's different kinds of auctioneers. All I knew is that I felt uncomfortable and, and, and I thought there's got to be a better way to inspire people to give. So I walked up to him afterwards and I said, how do I learn to do what you do? And they said to me, looked me up and down and said, hey, little Missy, it's gotta be in your blood. Otherwise it's not gonna happen. And that was the beginning for me where I said, oh no. Nobody put Lane in the corner and I figured it out and I went to auction school in Iowa and, that's how it all started completely by mistake really i fell into it literally fell into it yeah amazing um last question and this is probably my favorite question out of the entire rapid fire round what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact space if you're coming into the social impact space thinking that you are going to make massive income you're not. And if that is your motivator, then you're not doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. If your motivation is to help others make the world a better place by impacting change, if your motivator is to help shine the light on a great cause and build community and inspire giving, then you know you're in the right place. Mm -hmm. Great answer and a great way to end the episode. Um, Thank you so much, Lane, for coming on the show. Where can people find you? They can find me at auctionista.ca and all over the grams and the things and all over socials. It's The Auctionista, Lane The Auctionista. Please follow along. We'd love to have you on the Laneway ride. We do a lot of cool stuff and we're fancy and uh, we're big, bold, and beautiful. So lots of good stuff happens every day in uh, the Laneway. Awesome. Thanks again, Lane. Such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us. Music thanks, as always, to Greg Thomas Music.org. And I know that uh, 
gosh, I know we won't be having many live events uh, anytime soon, but I, I hope you do find some resources relevant here, and I hope that you're also staying safe wherever you are.